And what DOITS is, is, is a methodology uh, for problem solving, specifically designed for service and transactional type businesses. And the goal of it is continuous business transformation. We are back with another episode of the Cold Star Project, the podcast about the unexpected challenges of scaling. And today we have a process engineering slash continuous improvement Six Sigma ass kicker, Tilla Dobay, Dobay, Dobay. Yep. And Attila is, well, he works with, uh, with Avis, which is pretty cool, um, the, the rental business. And um, we can get into something original that you just finished, a project that you just uh, released that I was just tickled to see because it's innovative. It's something in a world that I thought, well, gee, that must be pretty fossilized. What new distribution channels are available in the world of vehicle rentals? And uh, you found one and got it going, a big one. So welcome to uh, the Cold Star Project. Thanks, Jason, I'm happy to be here. All right, so you and I were uh, connected up by a mutual friend who obviously admires us both, which is great, and we had a little chat, and uh, it's been good. Like, I, I, I think finding somebody else who really understands process engineering, continuous improvement in that has been really, really good. Uh, just to have in my circle, because there's not that many people, especially in the online marketing world, uh, where I've spent the last bunch of years, who know this stuff. They've never even heard of it, and it just kind of goes over their heads. So let's talk a little bit about continuous improvement. Uh, your field of study or experience, I, I guess is the right word for it, is more on the service side, right, than the manufacturing side. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I've... Um... I suppose I'm a bit of an oddball in the community in that I've, I've never actually worked in the manufacturing side at all. Hmm. Um, I, I learned Lean Six Sigma uh, in a service-based uh, company, uh, like you mentioned, Davis Budget Group. Um, so I, I've never worked in that, uh, in that manufacturing side. So I've always had to kind of take, I, I guess, a little bit different view than uh, perhaps somebody who you know, started at Ford or one of the OEMs. Um, I've had to take a little bit different view to it, and that, that I think has helped, uh, helped me found my unique views on continuous improvement. So tell us a little bit more about that unique view. Does that stem from not having like a product, an end product or parts or something like that, or a bill of materials in the traditional sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it does. So one thing that I find, you know, very different is that I think in, in traditional Lean Six Sigma, at least the, the way I was taught, we looked at... Um, basically manufacturing processes. We looked at a company building widgets and you would analyze the data from the finished product and you would inspect that to try to find root cause, assuming it was in control. Um, you would inspect that to try to find root cause and the root cause was either something like a shift change or some type of problem with the machine. Um, they, it, it didn't involve people on both sides and I, and I find people um, not to sound too robotic about it but I, I find people uh, are a little more random in what they do than a machine right um, and that's probably good because that makes us creative creatures right yeah there's that uh, sort of weird sunshine radiation adaptation thing going on right where, where something turns into something else when you've got live people one of the big things that we've discovered at Cold Star Tech in reviewing uh, processes for businesses is what the employees say is happening is often not what is actually happening. And there's just divergence 
And uh, in that divergence, there's a whole mess of things that it's like a rolled up ball of socks, right? <laughs> you know, it's, you don't know what's in there really. And, uh, and it's rarely good. I mean, as people, they will say, oh, I take this piece of paper into that person's office. But the truth is they don't like that person. So they don't, <laughs> that paper doesn't go in there, right? It goes over here to a third party and maybe three days later, that person takes it in as a favor or something, right? So that right. person A doesn't have to talk to person B. And so you get all these little inefficiencies uh, running around in the business. So, so I think you'd be very good at uncovering these things. I'm sure you've seen a million of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when when you get when you get people on both sides of the equation, you've got the customer and then you've got employees, and there's no machine in between. Um, those processes can become highly variable. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's it's rare it's rare in those circumstances to find a process that's actually really in control. Um, it may not fail a control chart, but the fact is, is the reason it's not failing a control chart is because it's got so much variation in the process that the control variables are so far apart that, you know, it shows in control and it's really mm. not. And you just don't know. Yeah. I can uh, recall Joe Girard, who um, was, a, was a sales coach for a previous business and we, you know him. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah. He, we, we hired him and also I've had him on previous podcasts and that, and I was so excited. One day he brought up statistical process control and he's a sales trainer. That's, that's the thing that I want to get across here. There's like total service, right? It's, it's people, it's, it's uh, not a mechanical process at all. And yet here he is talking about statistical process control and mapping the outcomes of these things. And that's fantastic. So it can be done if you are a manufacturing person and you've never thought about applying this stuff to service uh, situations before. So, you know, you've got these traditional uh, process improvement methodologies and whatnot, right? Uh, I was taught something called SHREDM, select, record, develop, install, maintain, or examine, should be the E in there, I missed that one. Uh, <laughs> and you have developed a, a method for continuous improvement in service businesses. So why don't you tell us about that? This will be the educational part of the show. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I created a method called Do-Its. And what Do-Its is, is, is a methodology uh, for problem solving, specifically designed for service and transactional type businesses. And the goal of it is continuous business transformation, which is a little bit different from standard continuous improvement, um, at least different, I think, in mentality. Um, one of the issues that I think we face today is the disruption in all industries. I mean, whether it's, you know, truck rental where I, where I work or sales or any other industry, there, there is massive disruption going on. If we look at Fortune 500s in, in 1958, the average age of a Fortune 500 business was 60 years. Um, it's south of 20 now. Um, so businesses are being disrupted all over the place. And I, I think traditional mentality and transformation is that companies will go through some type of major transformation process. And I want to challenge that idea. I want to challenge the idea that transformation needs to be some major one-off uh, guided event. And I, I think it needs to be more every day we're transforming, every day we're looking to get a little bit better than we were yesterday. And if we take that mentality, I believe that we'll find that there are major 
game-changing events that can come out of our business. If we, if we inspect our processes with that mentality, we'll find innovation. Mm-hmm. I think we've got huge opportunities in, in, I'm sure it exists in manufacturing as well, where you have a customer that's willing to, to pay for you to find the root causes of problems. They're, they're saying, this is a pain for me. Well, if you can uncover that, you've solved you know, two of the early hypotheses uh, for the lean startup method. Mm. There's a customer and that they're willing to pay for something. Mm-hmm. Um, you could easily turn that into an innovative product. Okay. Now, do it's, it's five letters there. They, it's, I'm sure they stand for something. It is. They do. They do. They stand for define, observe, improve, test, and sustain or scale. So, uh, why would we do that stuff before we scale? Uh, why Let's would we get into that? Let's duck the other okay. the other things like define, which is yes. it seems to be analogous to select. If I'm mind reading properly, oh yeah, yeah. If you were following like a score, or I, I I know there's a lot of methodologies out there. Like a score from lean would be select, and and in that way, it is very similar. Um, at least the define phase is, you know, I, I like to think of define as not only being define the problem, but define the goal, define how this impacts our largest strategy. Ensure that the project we're working on actually has some type of strategic basis for our company. You know, what are the major initiatives that we're trying to accomplish and how does this project specifically help do that? And communicate that to the people that are on the project team. Mm-hmm. I think it's good for people to know how, what they're working on affects the larger strategy in the company. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really have been getting into a co-creation approach in the last couple of years um, since, since having spent most of 2016 working with a um, change agent who worked with tech companies of a thousand people or more. Uh, that was yeah. what I spent most of that year working on. And, uh, there's a lot of resistance to change <laughs> just in general. And if you don't get buy-in uh, from the people who are going to have to carry it out and do it, then it's probably going to fail. So define is really important uh, because you might have 10 or 15 things that you can identify that you should work on, but which yeah. one is, is where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. Right. And uh, yeah. down in order. So that stage is really important observing obviously we're recording data at that point but i think there's a step before that where i mean you tell us about it i'm imagining yeah. that you need a kpi <laughs> right at least yeah i mean so it, to, to me baseline comes between you know the the defined phase and the observe phase and observe is really about uh, think of it like a gimbal walk uh from the lean methodology where you're, you're observing the problem when and where it exists um, you, you're observing what our baseline is. You're observing for root causes. Um, you know, specifically when you're when you're out there actually observing the process, the broken process, in, in the time and place that it exists. Um, you know, personally, I, I'm I I'm talking to the people on the front line. I want to know where they think it's broken. Uh, it helps me gather up uh, possible root causes. Now, one area that I think that this um, separates from a traditional demag is in the agility uh, that it presents for root cause identification. Hmm. Um, I've seen many, many, many 
uh, to make processes or projects um, fail in the analysis phase where, you know, people will call it analysis paralysis perhaps, mm -hmm. but, you know, they get stuck in this, um, let's dig deeper and deeper and deeper to find more and more and more potential root causes. Um, and they get, they get stuck in that and never move past it. Um, I think that, that, that that's a dangerous trap to fall into. Hmm. Let's dig into that a little more. Cause that sounds, first of all, it's really focused on what you're doing, right? With service businesses. And, and it's a little different. How could people continue to keep searching once they've found a root cause? Like when do you know that you're done? Uh, a lot of that is going to be gut and intuition, but there's a couple of rule sets that I like to follow um, when I'm running projects myself or coaching people through projects. Um, one of them is Colin Powell's 4070 rule, which you're probably familiar with, but Colin Powell prescribed the idea that you should make a decision when you're somewhere between 40%, when you have somewhere between 40% of the information that you need and 70%. Anything less than 40%, you're leaving too much to chance. Anything more than 70% in the window of opportunity is probably closing in. Mm -hmm. um, so I really love that in, in, you know, without geeking out too much, um, you know, you can start proving <laughs> out with like data, ent uh, data entropy, um, you know, if, if any of your listeners really want to dig into that stuff, it, it may be a, a, you know, an episode all on its own, but uh, yeah, it could be. You, you stop, you, at some point you stop gaining uh, value from more information. Right. I, I, yeah, I suspect we've already geeked out enough for the <laughs> average <laughs> listener, but I definitely want to have this conversation because uh, it's, it's in a direction that I don't normally get to talk. So uh, super valuable. Uh, so, yeah, and we, we see that. I mean, Colin Powell's taking that from his uh, armed forces training, right? Yeah. Uh, we see that on, um, if you ever watch a TV show about the training recruitment of Marines, they'll, <laughs> they'll say that, right? It's like, make a decision. It can be wrong, and yeah, people might die, but it's better than just sitting there and getting hit <laughs> by a mortar strike or something like that, right? Because you just stood around waiting for the right move. Yeah, so, yeah, 60%, right? funny that you bring that up because I, I actually served eight years in the Marine Corps and mm -hmm. went through boot camp. That's right. Um, hopefully not too, uh, <laughs> not too strong a language for your audience, but you know, in the, in the Marines, um, in the Marines, we would say, make a decision, go left, go right, go forward, go backwards. Just don't fucking stand still, make <laughs> <Right>. a decision, <laughs> you know, cause it, the, the idle Marine dies. Right. Um, so you're never going to have perfect information, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you wait, you're never going to have perfect data. And that's what I like about Powell's rule is it, it, it formalizes that a bit. Now, am I saying that you have to prove somehow that you've got 40% or prove that you've got less than 70%? I think that that violates the essence of what he's trying to say. Um, but there is a balance there between data and intuition that I think is important and probably isn't taught real well uh, in, in a lot of the traditional Lean Six Sigma courses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as much as we would like it to be, I think problem solving is not quite as mechanical. Just like selling, uh, you know. It's, it's not. It's, I mean, it, there's so much intuition that goes into it. And that's, that's a large part of where I think the do its method um, separates away from a traditional like demand or score or smash it or, or you know whatever other analogies exist out there is that in the next phase of it in the improved phase mm -hmm. the idea is to 
fail fast and fail small. So we're going to hypothesis test the, these potential root causes and we're going to try to come up with improvements that are limited in scale. So I wouldn't recommend trying these improvements with your entire business, but if you can take a, a small segment of your business and try to improve just that small segment mm. and fail fast, get it done fast and then test it. Okay. And I'm imagining that the scope of the solution could be small too, where you're just <laughs> telling your people, your CSRs, let's say, just say this one thing as a reaction to something uh, commonly said by customers or something. Yeah. Let's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too in that, you know, some of these uh, continuous improvement projects um, will lag on and on and on for months, mm -hmm. uh, frustrating the executives that, uh, that have sponsored them. Um, you know, they don't always have to be grand scale initiatives. They, your improvement could be small and have very dramatic effects on your business as a whole. Right. Well, and I like the idea of testing small before you scale up because maybe you don't need in the manufacturing world to go out and buy some huge automated uh, inventory management or WIP uh, management <laughs> um, conveyor belt system or something like that, right? Maybe yeah. you don't need to do that. And, and maybe you do, but the way to test it is not to go out and spend $200,000 on that. Right? Yeah, you, Start yeah. with something smaller and show, yes, there is improvement here and I can see the correlation as I thought. You know, I would, I would think a CFO would want to see some type of proof that there is opportunity to be had in that process, you know, and, the, and again, I've never worked in manufacturing, so call me out if I'm completely full of it. But I, I would think that a CFO, before he invested 200000 or $200 million, depending on the size of your business, before he invested that kind of money, you would want to know that there's some type of opportunity to be had in the process that you're working on. And, you know, some type, some type of small change could actually prove that to, to a CFO and get, um, you know, get better equipment for a company. Right. Okay. So the I in the do it stands for improve. We're talking about testing small ideas for improvement, seeing yeah. which one blows up. Yeah, and, um, and the reason in a good or a bad way. <laughs> right. The reason that these are bleeding together is because they're not. Don't think of them like a waterfall process mm -hmm. on a project. Think of these as being iterative and going back and forth. Um, so uh, observe, improve, test mm -hmm. is the process that we should be going through repeatedly until we find the right set of solutions that will actually improve to either hit our goal or improve and maybe not hit our goal, but be able to sustain that. Okay. So I can imagine a little loop wheel in the middle yeah, there. Oh yeah. OIT yep. and the D and the S on the outside. Yep. How, given that we're using small tests here, how do we make sure they're statistically significant? I.e. how do we prove that what we are doing is actually having a material effect and it's not, the Hawthorne effect type thing, you know, things are improving just because we're looking at them. Right, right. I mean, at some point you do have to get beyond the noise. Um, but I think small tests, small tests, let's say you're a big company, a small test can reach statistical significance fairly quickly. Uh, if you're a smaller company, it's going to come back to some of that intuition piece, right? It's okay, okay, it worked and approved out. Maybe it didn't have statistical significance, but it worked and approved out. Now let me scale it up enough to get to statistical significance okay. um, before you move forward and run it to your entire company and <laughs> drive it into a wall. <laughs> right, yeah, which is what I want to 
check in with you about there. Yeah. Okay, uh, so test. What does test mean in this situation? Uh, testing is, is very specifically hypothesis testing. So it, it, don't think of it in really complicated terms. Um, we're going to try to stay out of those complicated terms, uh, especially in businesses that aren't as familiar with Lean Six Sigma, uh, like a service business or a transactional business. Um, keep hypothesis testing really simple here. So we have an idea and we want to test whether or not it worked or not. Um, that's where you could bring in, say, a hired gun and run some statistical tests. Um, but it doesn't have to be super complicated, um, especially if, if you're dealing with intuition. It really doesn't have to be super complicated at that point. It, it could be, you know, I feel that it worked. Um, I do find a lot of times in, in services when you're when you have people on both sides of the equation, um, a lot of times that's really tough to measure from a statistics perspective. Um, but you can feel when it works better. Okay. That's an interesting point to raise that there are probably more qualitative measures applicable here in the service field than yes. in the manufacturing quantitative field. I don't know if I've ever seen a normal distribution in the service oh. industry, to be really frank. Okay. <laughs> Nothing even approaching normal. <laughs> so really, this the define stage is really important because you need to narrow down that hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. Get real clarity on, like, what are we doing here? We're not just sort of wandering in and trying to fix something. Right. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen these projects, too, where – um, they'll go through an improvement and they'll try to find the data uh, to support that improvement and then they'll try to find a definition to support the effort and that, that's a very backwards way of doing it. I mean there's learning opportunities there but it, it's, a, it's not a great way to do it. Um, so you're right, I mean the, the defined phase and, and I know we went through it pretty quickly but the defined phase is probably the most important phase that you have in any of these projects, whether it's to make or do it or, or any other method, that, that phase. And if you don't lock in your why, hmm. um, to borrow from Sinek, if you, if you don't lock in that why, that vision, um, I, don't, I don't see sustainable and scalable results coming out of that. Right. And so it's just going to, oh, that's a question. When does it die on the operating table? When, when do you do a project and, Maybe you didn't do as good of a job as you'd hoped on the defined <laughs> stage and you test a few things and it just doesn't, nothing's happening after a month, let's say, or eight weeks. I, I think that there's two possible outcomes. There are two possible root causes. One, maybe the define wasn't properly defined. Let's go back and look at that. You know, why are we working on it? Why do we think it's a problem? Um, and the other is maybe your process is already optimized. Um, that's another hypothesis yeah. that we could be testing for. I mean, there may not be opportunities with today's technology and today's mentality. Um, there may not be, there may not be an opportunity there to really improve that, that process in your business. Um, but I think that that's an important hypothesis to test. Mm -hmm. If you know that you can't improve your business anymore with that process, it's time to start looking at other processes in your business right. to find out how we can hit those strategic goals that we talked about earlier. Right. Teleportation just hasn't been invented yet, so the supply <laughs> right. chain ain't going to get any better right now. <laughs> Let's go look at something else. Okay. So that last stage is sustained scale, the ask there. Yes. 
Yeah, so the, to me, that's the most exciting piece right there. Mm. Um, you know, let's let's develop method is, methods that actually control our processes. Um, you know, to borrow from the control phase from from like a Demaic. Um, you know, what are the processes that we're going to put in place to ensure that we don't lose any ground on this, so that we can sustain? What are our contingency plans? What are the things that we can think of where this thing is going to break? Like if we think of an FMEA. Uh, failure modes and, and effects analysis. Again, not, not to geek out too much, so <laughs> stay tuned. Um, but if we look at the failure modes and effects analysis, what are the ways that this thing could fail and what are the effects of those failures? If we have those uh, expected contingencies in place, then we can adapt to whatever comes at our process. That makes it much more sustainable. If people know, hey, if I start seeing this, this is the action I need to take, then we're much more ready to be able to adapt our, our current process to meet current needs uh, as it goes forward in time. So that's, that's one way to sustain um, uh, an initiative. In uh, the next piece of that S is scale. So we've tested it on a small part of our business. We've failed fast. We've, we've, we've found an improvement that works. It hits our goals. We, we're very confident that it's gonna work. Now let's scale that to the rest of our business. Let's blow this thing up and let's start getting some real ROI out of it with confidence. How long in between completing one of these projects and uh, looking at that process again, should the time gap be? I, I don't know that there is a time gap. I, 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 I am definitely of the school of thought that this needs to be continuous. We should always be looking at our processes. Um, there are markers that you can start watching out for. Um, you know, I, I love finding project ideas out of a PNL. Mm -hmm. um, and you can set that PNL if you know, if you know that for every sale you make, you should see, uh, you know, X, um, X points of margin. And you start seeing that slip. Let's start looking at our processes again. Um, that may be a, an effective way to do it. But again, I, I go, I go back to, it needs to be continuous. If, if your, if your control plans are built properly, then it truly will be continuous. You'll constantly be looking at, um, you know, where where are my processes falling out of control and what can I do about it? Okay. If you are going into debt, <laughs> which may be a bad word for you, I don't know, uh, to buy, uh, even in a service business training or coaching or something like that, sure. right, to help people improve their performance in the process, there is going to be a period of ROI on that, right? It's, it's not going to oh, be, absolutely. we yeah. do that and instantly we get the money back. So that might be a, a barrier to looking at it again, right? Let's get to zero. Yeah. I'm just yeah, trying to talk my way through this, think it through. Yeah, definitely from, you know, if you're looking at it, uh, like the CFO would look at it. Yeah. Yeah. You would want to, you would want to know that your, improvement had a chance to actually succeed before you're saying it's a failure. Like if I look at, uh, if I look at a, a major innovation project that I'm working on right now. Um, if I were to call this a success or failure at this point, I would be doing a gross disservice to our shareholders um, because it hasn't had time to build. We haven't had time to market it the way that we would like to. We, we launched it just before the holiday season. <laughs> Um, if I were to say that that was a success or failure, I would be, I would be absolutely lying to everybody involved. Um, right. so it, so it needs the time to mature before you can call it a success or failure. Mm -hmm. and, and go back to it and say, okay, we're going to 
tweak this process again. Uh, right. Uh, I used to get caught in an endless cycle of, of tweaking without actually measuring what the results are. And mm-hmm. I think that that's dangerous. But again, that, that, you know, I think a lot of that goes back to you know, the expertise, like somebody like you would bring to a manufacturing world in that a lot of that's going to p- depend on intuition. I mean, how long is long enough? Uh, you know, you used our example um, of we dumped a, a lot of money in training uh, lean practitioners, Six Sigma practitioners in our company. Um, and how long is the proper amount of time to wait to see if that had an impact or not? I think that that requires a lot of intuition. That that requires the kind of intuition that's only going to come from experience. Okay. Let's talk about this. Uh, this <laughs> I was just going to say success. This new initiative that uh, that you did bring out because you're working in the vehicle rental field. It, it felt to me before I talked to you, Oh, wow. You know, what, what new could be under the sun for this, right? So tell us a little bit about what you did and how you arrived at that conclusion that this was a good idea to do. Sure. So, I mean, like you mentioned, I, I work in vehicle rental. Specifically, I work in, in truck rental, which, uh, which is not necessarily a, 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 an industry that people think of when they think, ooh, innovation. Right, leading ooh, something edge. Something is coming out. <laughs> You know, it's not, it's, it's definitely not, it's not the tech sphere. It's kind of a, a, an old antiquated business that, um, that people don't necessarily think of when they think innovation. So we had an opportunity to work with a, a third party innovator. Um, and these folks uh, developed a method to remotely control and track uh, fleet assets. Uh, with the idea that somebody could rent a, a truck directly from uh, a web application, uh, we then found uh, we then found a, a, another third party, a large retailer, uh, let's say headquartered out of Arkansas, um, but a large retailer whose, whose lots we were able to use to position this fleet. Now, we're, our hypothesis test is that this is going to be beneficial for all three parties. Um, but we're still waiting on the data to develop, like you said earlier, um, to determine whether or not it's, it's, it's viable and, and successful or not. But I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it because I think it, it helps, um, you know, help, helps a young company get developed. It is certainly going to help us in truck rental and it's going to help that, uh, that retailer. Right. Yeah. Because they have, uh, empty spots on their lots. Number one, they, they do. I mean, if we if we think about it in uh, standard waste terms, and I, I use I use worm pit. I'm not sure which analogy you use, but if we if we look at it, I mean, they they've got wasted inventory in the form right. of parking spaces uh, that they could monetize. Um, right. You know, so we put trucks on their lots, and now we're we're hoping that we can rent them. Uh, we're very helpful that it can help their customers as well. Say you're. You know, say say you're you're one of these types that uh, will take an Uber to Walmart to go get your groceries, and then you'll take an Uber home. You know, maybe you bought Red Dead too, and you're thinking to yourself, "Man, I could really use that 55 inch TV." But good luck getting it home from, you know, Walmart with uh, with an Uber. Um, they're able to now rent a truck by the hour as low as 10 bucks an hour, um, with 75 miles included. They can get that thing home, get it back, get the truck back to the Walmart store. And, uh, you know, and, and be able to enjoy their new big screen TV. 
uh, I, I think that's exciting. Uh, given right. the future of mobility, I think that's super exciting. Yeah. And uh, anybody who's listened to me for any length of time hears me harp on about distribution channels and accessing <laughs> new distribution channels because it's the fastest way to get more user adoption, more customers and that kind of thing. So here yeah. is, is Avis accessing uh, a new to them distribution channel where there is, hopefully, that's the hypothesis test, a hungry audience, right? People right. want that truck and, uh, and need the service. Again, just like you buy the drill to make the hole, they don't want the truck specifically, they want the convenience or the service of it being able to transport something like a big plant or, uh, or a, um, piece of furniture, right? And that kind of thing. Right. You so. know, in, in early, early feedback that we're getting from customers, one, one of the use cases really surprised me. I, I figured mm. that this program would be uh, geared almost solely towards uh, consumer buyers. Um, and what I'm finding is that commercial business is actually excited about this too. Uh, one of the early pieces of feedback that I got from a commercial customer was, hey, I don't have to wait in line to get a truck and that saves mm -hmm. my guy 45 minutes. Um, that, that kind of feedback is, you know, is awesome. That's right. Awesome. Because they, they, the business people know where it is, right? They, they're going to know it's at that retailer. Right. And, and they don't have to go hunting anywhere. The other thing I like about this system is it's completely independent of the store employees. They don't have it, to touch it. It is. They don't, they don't have to touch it at all. We've, um, we've really foregone any type of real training process for the employees at the local stores. Um, so our hypothesis test here is that the product will actually be able to sell itself, rent itself. Um, we know that the technology is there to support it. Um, we're definitely working on messaging uh, to try to teach the customer that they don't have to interact with any employees. Uh, there's a QR code on the trucks that can literally just scan the code, rent it right from their phone as they're standing on the lot. Um, we've worked on messaging on the vehicles so that customers hopefully know that they don't have to interact with anybody. But that's good for the retailer because the retailer now doesn't have to dedicate any staff to it, potentially sells more products, uh, and makes you know a bit of revenue share on it as well. Right. Yeah, I, that's the coolest thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> it's, just, it's, this, it's, it's a big idea, right? And it combines several different pieces of the puzzle to make it go. So it is, it, It's a three-market problem, which, um, which you know, I, I've read a lot of innovation around two-market problems and how difficult they are. Um, I, would, I would argue that three-market problems are probably exponentially uh, more difficult just having that many players to try to coordinate. Um, definitely presents some issues, but um, but still, we're we're excited about where it's going. How long did it take you to get to this point, working on this project? Uh, Career-wise, or from start uh, for, for this um, Arkansas headquartered yeah. <laughs> agreement, um, this particular project. So we we initially launched the project uh, in summer of last year, um, and we just went onto their lots uh, mid December. Uh, December 15th were the first trucks on their lots. Uh, before that, we were, uh, we were and we continue to be testing these vehicles on uh, different properties, um, mm -hmm. whether it's an existing uh, dealer that we have or, uh, or hotel properties. Uh, we're finding a lot of partners for it, uh, folks that are excited about the opportunity to get, uh, get a little more traffic uh, you know, onto, their, onto their properties. Um, 
but we're 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 also very excited about the retail opportunity. I think, uh, yeah, I think just given the size of the lots that we're dealing with there and the amount of foot traffic that they have, um, it's a great uh, great marketing opportunity for us as well. Right. So over a year, though, is uh, is the time that you've been working on this project. Uh, no, 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 no. We're we're close to six months. So we started oh, oh, this year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started summer of 2018, okay. and okay. Uh, we we put them on their lots. Uh, you know, December 15th was our first first active day um, on their lots. Okay, so not too too long. As no, long as, as no, long as you've got no. the oomph to be able to walk into that office or to get them to take your call. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it 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 has moved fast. Um, yeah, I would say that we're definitely following, you know, the, 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 the fail fast and test small mentality. Um, you know, we're currently uh, renting these things in Orlando. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're very limited in market uh, okay. before we, before we invest, uh, you know, a ton into it. We want to know that it can work. Um, so we're, t we're testing it small. Um, when we fail, we're failing small, but we're learning through that. Uh, and eventually we'll be able to scale and sustain this thing. Right. Very, very cool. Let's quickly talk about, like this is all this stuff we've been talking about, process engineering, continuous improvement, it's all well and good for bigger companies who have a lot going on, right? Yeah. How can small companies or even solopreneurs use this stuff? You know, I, I think that the universal truths and continuous improvement are universal, I mean truly universal. So let's say that you're a small company. I'll refer to an article that I wrote for the Colorado Springs Business Journal. Uh, and that article centered around um, five whys, centered around uh, worm pit, as I call it, or, or waste identification. And these are things that a, that a small business owner doesn't need to hire a consultant to do. I mean, they could do these things on their own. Furthermore, it's, it's better if they are doing these things on their own because it starts building that culture. I mean, let, let's say that you're an organization with 10 employees, you're doing fairly well, but you, of course you always want to improve uh, your bottom line, you want to improve the fate of your customers, you want to improve the life of your employees uh, you know, as they're working at your company. These are things that can do that, um, especially if you start looking at waste as being something that could be uh, improved upon, um, and start looking at it through the eye of not just shifting waste, because I do see that a lot where waste will shift from one form to another hmm. uh, rather than actually being eliminated. Uh, but th these are things that, that a small business owner can absolutely do on their own um, with very little teaching. Uh, got great feedback from my Colorado Springs Business Journal article uh, just from small businesses who implemented it. You know, it was really really easy stuff from, you know, if you're uh, Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, this is about as basic as you can get. Um, but it can have a powerful impact on, on any business, no matter how big it is. Even if it's a solopreneur, it could still have, uh, you know, impact on their business. Right. Yeah. Doing the basics well. Yes. It's something yes. I feel is under underappreciated out there in the that, real world. That is one of my core tenets. Uh, master the basics. Yeah. They all want the big B2 bombers to come in and put on a huge show, but <laughs> sometimes it's just walking out there with your boots on and getting into the mud. Right. Right. Doing I mean, it, well, it really is. Care. You know, it's, uh, I, I think the difference between uh, a true master and, and a novice is their ability to master the basics. Mm -hmm. It really is. 
So Attila, how can people get a hold of you, particularly if they're running a service-based business and realize, oh, I've got a problem here in my processes and I need some, uh, some, somebody with some great experience and a unique perspective to look at it? Yeah, so uh, I have a website, uh, dobay.com, that's D-O-B-A-I.com. Um, that's probably the best way to, uh, to start following me. Um, alternatively, they could always email me directly. That's Attila, A-T-T-I-L-A, at dobay.com. Uh, those are the, probably, probably the two best ways to start getting into that, uh, getting a hold of me and uh, getting, into that, um, getting into that group. Very cool. Well, I want to have you on again. Uh, afterwards, we should figure out uh, what our next discussion topic can be and, uh, and book that. There's a lot for us to talk about, but I don't want to overwhelm uh, the audience with all this stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you again for being here today. It's been, uh, it's been really enjoyable. Jason, thank you for having me on. You I bet. really appreciate it.